Uh, good morning. Let me, um, let me pray as we begin, and then we'll have a look at that little bit that Paddy read for us. Let me listen prayer, though. Well, we don't just want to um, get a better grasp of these verses, although we do want that, but we want you to apply them to us, to help us to live them out. Help us to not just see what they mean, but help us to see what they mean for us. So even though we're separated, we're physically in different places, we thank you that your word is not chained and so pray that it would work in our hearts. Pray that you would speak this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that the Bible is just very honest about is that suffering is part of real life. And so it's sometimes said, if you um, take your Bible and in your left hand you hold together Genesis 1 and 2, and in your right hand you hold together Revelation 21 to 22, then what you have in the middle on pretty much every single page is a narrative of suffering. It's a story of sorrow. And you see, the problem is we are in the middle of the story and we will be there until the day of Christ. Remember last week, until the day when Jesus comes back and the world is made new again. But for now, for now, we are in the middle of that story, that story of suffering, waiting for everything to be made new again. That's probably pretty obvious to you at the moment with with COVID-19, with lockdown, with all of this, the stuff we've been thinking about. We are familiar with suffering at the moment, whether we are three or 103. I think, though, whenever we are struck by suffering or hardship, there are always only two opportunities for us at that point. Two possible responses to the hardship. I think either we can turn away from God or we can turn to God. So we can turn away from God and think, well, if God is there, he can't love me because why would he put me through this? What is he doing? We don't understand, so we turn from him. Or indeed, it's the daily reality of turning to him. We, we say, Lord, we're confused, but we, we trust you best and we know that you are good and you are bigger than us. And so we'll keep trusting you even in the midst of this mess. Please help us to keep trusting you. Actually, after, the, after my, I preach, we're going to sing together, um, kind of together. We're going to sing the Lord's My Shepherd. And every time we sing those words, I'll be honest, I find them profoundly moving to hear you as Maudlin Road sing that, or as we sing that together. I'm going to miss hearing your voices. Um, I will hear them by faith. Um, but do you remember some of the lyrics of that song, Psalm 23, the Getty Townend version? And though I walk the darkest path, I will not fear the evil one. For you are with me and your rod and staff are the comfort I need to know. And then that refrain in the chorus, and I will trust in you alone. I will trust in you alone for your endless mercy follows me. Your goodness will lead me home. And I say it's moving to hear you sing that because I know that is not an easy thing for us to sing. Because trusting him actually really costs. I know some of us are finding this really hard. So singing that song with integrity will be really hard. Always only two responses to suffering. One, to turn from God. Two, to turn to him. And as we've seen already, we know that Paul is turning to the Lord, despite being in lockdown. I know from chatting to a few of you this last week that one of the big things that we are wrestling with is this idea of these joy glasses, this 
the reality that Paul has of his joy in the midst of the mess, in the midst of his lockdown, his ability, whatever's going on, whatever his situation or circumstances, to see the world in terms of Christ, to put on those spectacles, to, to see life in light of what Christ has done and what he is doing and what he will do. It's hard, isn't it? I think when you get that in place, then you can get to a place like verse 21 you've got a bible there do have a look at it how can paul get to the kind of place where he can mean verse 21 let me read i'm just from the end of verse 20 again for us he says then christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death for to me to live is christ and to die is gain do you see if like paul your life is all about jesus if christ is everything then in death well, in death, you get more of Jesus. And so Paul can't work out what's best. Verse 22, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I, I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. You see, death is better for Paul because Jesus gets you through death and through death you get more of Jesus. And you see, that changes your perspective on the world. That changes your whole perspective on everything. Hmm. There's, a, there's a story often told by preachers of the, the ancient church father, John Chrysostom, Bishop of Constantinople. He was summoned by the emperor of the time and threatened with banishment for his faith. And he responds to the emperor, he says, you can't banish me for the whole world is my father's kingdom. Then I will take away your life, said the emperor. You can't, answered Chrysostom, for my, my life is hid with Christ in God. Then I will take away your treasure, roared the emperor. You can't, replied Chrysostom, for my treasure is in heaven where my heart is. Then I will drive you away from all your friends, he says. You can't, for I have one friend from whom you can never separate me. I defy you, says Chrysostom because you can do me no harm. Do you see, finally the Christian cannot be harmed. And so death is better for Paul. Because Jesus gets you through death and through death you get more of Jesus than, well, what is death? I'm aware though that for people perhaps this morning who aren't believers maybe that's you this morning listening in or friends that we've got or we think of having a conversation about this verse with our friends either this verse sounds nuts because when it comes down to it at least up until lockdown life really was just about pursuing pleasure and avoiding pain we we live for the evening we live for weekends we live for holidays we live for retirement and, and death is to be something that is to be feared and fought I think it's partly why coronavirus has been so painful for so many, why, why communities and societies are struggling so much. Because that's where we found life in the past, in being able to, to be comfortable. Or, or as we read this verse, maybe people get a bit twitchy, you think, that ah, sounds a bit like taking it all a bit too seriously. I mean, it's fine to have church on a Sunday, but, but this sounds like talk of martyrdom or fanaticism even. In our current context it sounds weird but what if what if Jesus was that good what if 
a life built on circumstances and stuff it is not really life at all what if life is all about jesus what if paul has got it right because the resurrection is true because there was an empty tomb because christ is risen and ascended and because he's why heaven will be so amazing then death is is not to be feared or fought it means more of christ and so says paul death is better but for now he knows that that death will have to wait because for now he knows it's better for him to be remaining in his body there's still stuff for paul to do death is not something that makes him scared but he's staying here for now to live is christ to die is gain we think really we're afraid of death aren't we don carson is a a pastor a theologian um, I have many of his books on my on my shelf just behind uh, you. Um, and he, one of them, he talks of how he prays for a woman called June Fordham. She had grown up in very difficult circumstances. She had gone off the rails. And then later on in life, she came to a faith in Jesus and she becomes a nurse. And just a few years later, she has an inoperable cancer. And so Carson writes about how he prayed for her with another minister. And he says they were scratching their heads. They weren't sure what to pray for. Her. She, she had written to them from a hospital bed. She was full of bitterness, full of fear, full of anger, maybe even full of self-pity. And, and they're saying, well, Lord, what do we pray for her? Should we pray, Lord, bless her? Sometimes that's the only prayer we can honestly pray. We, we don't know enough to pray more. Should we pray, Lord, take her home to be with you? Or, or Lord, heal her? We had no doubts that the Lord could heal her, he says, but none of us was convinced that was what he was going to do. And so we prayed for wisdom and we turned to scripture. We remembered the many promises that God will keep his, his own people and we prayed that he would honour his word. That was Monday night when they prayed. On Thursday, he receives a letter from her, written on the Tuesday, the day after they had prayed. And said she, she said she had awoken with joy the next morning and she found herself singing hymns. She had come to find deep rest in the Lord's perfect will and that looking forward and she was going to be with him if that was what he wanted and she was okay with that. Her letter was full of deep love for and faith in the Lord Jesus. And you know, she, she died just a few weeks later, but not before she had exercised the remarkable influence in that hospital. She had come to realise truly that to die is gain. It was profoundly moving. But life for Paul now is about the work of Christ. It's about what Christ has done on the cross and what he is doing in his people and in his world. Actually, you get that at either end of the passage if you've got your Bible there. Um, life for Paul is about what God is doing in Christ. So you get it in verse 12. Now, I want you to know, uh, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. The advance of the gospel but then very similar verse 25 convinced of this i know that i will remain and i will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith do you see paul paul is just a footnote jesus is the one who matters to paul he is the main story which means for paul his life is well his life firstly is not about personal comfort Paul's life is not about personal comfort. We've gone high tech again. 
Um, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Do you know, there are large swathes of the Christian church that sound like self-help counsellors and teachers and talk about living your best life now and God wanting you to be successful and living an abundant life and life in all its fullness and to be victorious. And as with all the best untruths, there are truths in those messages, but there are nuances and emphases being ignored. But do you see, for Paul, it's not about personal comfort, which means for him he's in lockdown. He's in chains, he's in suffering, he's in prison. Makes that clear three times in our passage, just in case we forget it. Verse 13, that I'm in chains for Christ. And verse 14, and because of my chains. And verse 17, while I'm in chains. Paul wants to reiterate the fact that he is in lockdown, he's in chains. Most likely, I guess a bit like us at the moment, he's in probably in some kind of extended house arrest whilst in Rome. And Acts 28 describes that he was there for two years. And do you see, because he's in house arrest, actually it answers two questions. One, he's in chains with guards who have to hear the gospel. Think about that in a moment. But secondly, unlike us, he's got stacks of friends coming and going. We'll see in chapter two, there's Epaphroditus, there's Timothy. He's in, he's in house arrest, in lockdown. Comfort comes second and Jesus comes first. And we hear that. Don't you have kind of niggly doubts? Do you know, if, if we really live like this, if we really pour ourselves out like this, if we really put comfort second and Jesus first, we, don't we think we'll be robbed of joy? We think a life of serving Jesus, that doesn't sound like life, does it? But maybe, maybe the reason we lack joy is that we keep putting ourselves first. Thing is, if we're brutally honest, most of us are caught between two worlds and we're trying to ride two bikes. In all kinds of ways, we're in the world, but we're of the world as well. And so if we're brutally honest, maybe comfort comes first and Jesus comes second. I find it very challenging. If you'd call yourself a Christian, think, think of how most of us serve. We, we serve from the time that's left over. We serve in ways that we quite enjoy. We, we serve because because comfort's happened already or or think of the way most of us give we we so often give from what's left over we we've got all the stuff we want and then we give because comfort comes first and we want to be in control and so we're scared to give our all and we think if we give Jesus the reins if we really put him first if we really put our comfort second where will we where will we end up what are we going to end up doing can we trust him with our future can we really trust him to put comfort second and jesus first it's challenging isn't it it means that paul's perspective in prison is is amazing Maybe here's something for us to chew over in home groups this week don't miss this paul actually sees his being in chains as being good news. He, he sees lockdown not as a, a derailing of his ministry or a setback of his plans, but, but you know, trusting in God's sovereignty, God has got him where he wants him now. Verse 12, he's got him as in a means to advance the gospel. It's an opportunity. Um, oh, as I once very cheesily heard in a sermon many, many moons ago, and yet it stuck with me for probably 20 years, so maybe I'll 
I'll try it on you and see what you think. It's not a disappointment, but rather it's his appointment. Why? Well, because to live is Christ. And so the gospel is ringing out more and inside the prison walls through Paul. You've got a whole new group of people for him to speak to. They haven't even got a choice. They have to listen. It's their job. They have to be there. See that verse 13, as a result, it's become clear throughout the palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. You can imagine the guards drawing lots to try and get away from this crazy preacher. He, he won't stop talking about Christ. And he just seems so joyful. What's going on? But more than that, Paul's imprisonment has meant that outside the prison walls, through others, the message is ringing out as well, that there's a joy for him there. So verse 14, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become more confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Others have become encouraged by what he's done. They're stepping up to the plate. They're opening their mouths. They're speaking about Jesus because they see Paul being faithful. Maybe you know something of that. Well, I certainly do. Think of maybe Christians in your office or in your family or even online during lockdown. And because they stuck their neck out and spoken up, because they've been brave and spoken of Jesus, well, you're thinking, do you know, maybe I can too. Maybe I'll be brave. Why did I hold back before? And so inside and outside the prison walls, the message of Christ is ringing out because Paul is in chains, because it's not about comfort for him. Actually, though, it's more than just not about comfort. For Paul, it's not about personal reputation either. He just doesn't care as long as the message of Christ gets out. So not about comfort. And not about personal reputation either. It's a weird one. But something else that seems to have happened is that Paul's imprisonment has actually encouraged some of his opponents. You get it in verse 15. And verse 17 as well, do you see, it? verse 15, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Verse 17, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely while I'm in chains, supposing they can stir up trouble for me, he says. They're, they're kicking him when he's down. They're jealous even of his influence, his ministry. We don't know who they are, though. But we know they're preaching the gospel. We know that they're believers in some sense. I think the best answer probably comes across like this. That, do you remember, if Paul is writing from prison in Rome, seems the most likely thing. As he wrote to the church in, in Rome, in Romans, do you remember there are some different factions and groups and struggles inside the church, maybe between different house church groups within a larger body, but especially between Jewish and Gentile groups within the body. There's a kind of rivalry. There's a kind of squabbling almost that's going on. And so maybe there are some rival groups who are actually preaching out of bad motives. And there's news that Paul's in town in some kind of perverse way. They are encouraged and emboldened and stirred up to, to share the gospel more. But verse 17 is out of envy and selfish ambition. Note that phrase for next week in chapter two. Envy and selfish ambition. We, we don't really know for sure. But we do know Paul's response is, doesn't matter. I, I don't care. Verse 18, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. 
notice it's not as if Paul is bulletproof. Not as if he has some kind of Teflon skin and these insults, these um, those people speaking against him are, are not hurting him. You sense he's affected. He's considering how to respond, but in the end he says, Do you know, I'm not interested in my reputation or building up an empire or gaining a following. Regardless of their motives, we're on the same team because they're preaching Christ. The gospel is going out, and so I'm happy. And remember, to live is Christ. Jesus changes everything. It's a powerful perspective, isn't it? It's powerful because in our world, as in theirs, we know the importance of reputation. We, we care about what others think. We know what it means to fear man. We, we know what it is even to compare ourselves with others, to compete with others even. Maybe reputation is why so often we keep our mouths shut instead of speaking of Jesus ourselves. Maybe we care too much what they will think, how they will read that comment, how they will um, perceive us and what they'll think of us. In reality, it's often about us too and our reputations and not just about him. Maybe a timely word for us in lockdown. For, for Paul, it's about Jesus. And so as long as the gospel of Jesus goes out, it, it doesn't matter. How can we be getting the gospel of Jesus out in this context at this time? The other thing it makes me think of is in, in a city like Oxford, there are loads of churches out there. And it's so easy, though, for different churches to almost become self-sufficient, thinking about, well, if I can attract those people and get those people and and we care too much what other churches think, what people think of us. It's almost like we see them as competitors. And so after this um, sermon, I'm going to pray. And one of the things I'll be praying for is other churches around the Oxford area to be fruitful at this hard time. But that we would all care less and think less and worry less of what others think of us. But more and more people think of Christ. That others would know that to live is Christ. And that we would want those churches to thrive. To live is Christ, to die is gain. I think the challenge, though, for us, as we see this passage, as we, we wrestle with these ideas, is, is really how we finish that sentence ourselves. Whether you would call yourself a believer this morning, or you wouldn't, or you're not sure, maybe something to chew over this week. For me, to live is... How do you finish the sentence? For me, to live, to really live is, maybe it's just to get outside. To live is fame, success, popularity. For me, to live is many close, committed, meaningful friendships. For me, to live is a spouse or a family or a happy family or tons of grandchildren or, or kids who don't leave me lying awake at night worrying about them. For me to live is a thriving church or growing Christians. For, for me to live is to reach the top of the ladder at work. For me to live is enough money to make me comfortable. For me to live is pursuing pleasure, avoiding pain. How do you finish the sentence? Be honest with yourself. Maybe better. If we had X-ray Zoom or X-ray YouTube and we could peer into your heart and we could see the kind of things you care about, what would we decide is your answer to that sentence? To, to live is what? 
I wonder what the lockdown has been showing us that we've been building on the wrong things, that we've cared too much about the wrong things. Friends, whoever you are, nothing else will really satisfy you in this world. Nothing else will actually last through death. Death will make it a mockery of anything that we live for, except for Christ, who's conquered death. If you're a Christian, I think this is our big problem. I think at the end of the day, we think Jesus is pretty good. Yeah, we, we think he is, he's pretty good. But Paul... Paul thinks Jesus is immense. He's awesome. He's extraordinary. He's incredible. He's beautiful. He's glorious. He's just, he's worth giving up everything for. And if we're Christians, I suspect one of our problems is he is too small in our minds and our hearts. And Paul says to us, do you know, if you want to know the kind of joy I have, the kind of joy that means even in lockdown, I'm rejoicing. The ability to do away with comfort, to do away with reputation, those things that stunt our Christian lives, then, then he'll say daily die to self. Daily put self to death and put Jesus first. Put comfort and reputation second. Put Jesus first and then you will know joy. Because then you will know the one who you were made to know. And it's only in him that we find true joy. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Let's pray now. Lord, we thank you that Jesus is worth it. We thank you that he is worth it. Thank you that he, he is so beautiful and so incredible and so amazing and so glorious. Thank you that we can find joy in him and we confess how easily we look elsewhere. Help us please to be those who, who don't care about personal comfort, who don't care about personal reputation, because we care more about Christ. And Lord, we do pray for other Christians around this city, indeed around this area. We, we pray that they would thrive, that as the gospel goes out, as your word is proclaimed, it would be fruitful and that you would grow your people. Please be at work, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.